Hello, welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast, and it's kind of a mixed bag today. We're just kind of going to talk about things that have been going on lately, a couple discoveries, uh, a couple of experiences, and uh, not much of an outline today. Jared, what do you think? Yeah, sounds good. I know um, we had the uh, double uh, launch of... The Sutton New Suffolk Downs, that's run by Bowery Group, and um, and then we had the recent uh, touring sort of ensemble of uh, the reset that they just did over there that you uh, attended and, and had some uh, press access to prior, and then, uh, you know, went and saw a new band Wednesday, who's getting a lot of hype, so let's talk about those, and then we can talk about a couple other things that are floating around the universe that we uh, are enjoying. Yeah, the reset thing is kind of interesting. It's, um, you know, when I talked to... Um, uh, Josh Body, who who does the um, you know does the booking for or and runs Bowery Boston, and um, they were kind enough to give us a tour of the facility before it opened, and um, it was uh, you know he said they had you know in the two years that they had to sort of contemplate uh, <clears throat> new ideas and and uh, you know touring and booking. They came up with this idea for the reset, which is um, basically three nights worth of lineups, five bands per night, give or take one or two. And they basically pick three cities that are in reasonable proximity to each other. In our case, it was Boston, uh, New York, and Balto, D.C., whatever you call that. Was um, it Philly or was it... Over no, there? no, it was, uh, yeah. it was Meriwether Post Pavilion. So oh, it's gotcha. kind of, yep. you know... Yeah, it's Maryland, yeah. Maryland, DC. Baltimore, D.C. Um, but anyway, each night a different lineup plays... Uh, different city so you know the uh, hardware stays the same essentially the staging and and everything and then you just basically pack up uh, your stuff and move to the next town but it's in a series of of three unfortunately um, uh, in our case and in the case of I believe it was Atlanta Dallas New Orleans or Atlanta Dallas Nashville um, some heavy weather uh, played a part in, in, you know, making for less than perfect, you know, uh, there, there was some, uh, weather issues. I know they were canceled in, I believe Dallas and Atlanta and also, uh, Boston Saturday night got rained out. So, uh, they yeah, the night we were supposed less to than go. Good, good luck with the weather, but the three headliners in this case are, um, boy genius LCD sound system and Steve Lacey. And each one of those headliners, I had a say in in um, putting together the uh, supporting cast. So in in Steve Lacey's case, I believe it was uh, James Blake. Um, in LCD's case, it was uh, Idols and Jamie XX. Boy Genius had Bartiz Strange and, and a local hometown hero, Claro. Uh, from Carlisle, Mass., um, and Dijon. Um, Steve Lacey, the night I saw, uh, Fauché, Toro et Moi, and um, James Blake. So um, I saw, I was lucky enough to see Steve Lacey, who I've been listening to a ton, who I am a huge fan of, who, you know, hearing too, did not realize what a talent the guy was until I saw him live. I mean, I, I knew his records were good, I knew he was a in-demand producer who played a lot of uh everything basically on his records but um the guy's a killer performer as well i was thrilled to see that this guy is 24 years old i think he might have turned 25 uh during 
uh, this reset tour, but um, you know, he he has a prince energy to him. He can sing uh, like a crazy person. He's great guitar player. You know, one of those guys like I sort of you know one of my first concerts I ever saw on my own, Frank Zappa. Um, he has the same sort of presence as a guitarist that Zappa and Prince did, which is that he is not constantly playing guitar. He's often uh, just singing. And then we'll pick up and just rip off a solo or guitar piece that just blows your mind. Yeah, when he does, you know he's the best person on stage. (laughs) Yeah, it's just such a comfort. And he, you know, I've seen interviews with the guy. He's a relatively shy person, but he's a bold performer. So um, any chance you get to see Steve Lacey, go go check him out. But I just thought this idea was really interesting. And and what uh, it reminds me a little bit of, and I've not attended, but some of the year. I mean, it seems like the U.S. is kind of slowly and, and um the festival model yeah towards well the festival model but also like more specific like uh all tomorrow's parties or, or some of those where you would have like you know bell and sebastian kind of host Curate. a three-day event and it would travel you know paris or barcelona or whatever and then um also would curate kind of the under under yes. acts you know it'd be a theme and uh I think that's a cool, cool idea. I hope it was successful. I mean, I know the weather. I was supposed to go with you to see LCD, who, you know, we've seen many times, but would be fun in this uh, event. They're always great. And then Idols, who I was actually excited to see. Um, yeah. You know, and thunderstorms kind of pushed that out. But I, I mean, I suppose that kind of happens any tour, summer touring season, too. I mean, Taylor Swift it, plays through that shit, but like, you know. No, it does, but it doesn't, you know, I mean, this was built. I mean, it, I will take a ding it at. Uh, the promoters on the one hand while lauding them on the other but you know it was billed as a rain or shine event and it was not uh, lightning that kept everybody away it was punishing rain but and it would have been miserable it would have been fun if I was 20 you know and you could run through and do mudslides and shit like that but and I would say too you were on the one night where you have like the the oldest crowd probably potentially with uh, with LCD being yeah no it definitely is an older crowd I think now yeah Um, you know, it's not Dead & Company at the at Fenway Park, but it's, you know, it's an older crowd. Oh. Um, but I, I will say the one thing, um, and I, you know, uh, one bit of insider info that I do have, which I, you know, I think was uh, a really vital part of the planning of this thing, is that, um, you know, the, what the money that they saved in, you know, touring together, they collectively you know, can sort of pot, they were uh, afforded the opportunity to, to curate and select some openers that are larger than and more popular than the typical, if they were touring city to city, um, larger than the typical opener that they would have been able to afford. I mean, Jamie XX and Idols um, can tour on their own. Yeah, and they can tour, you know, thousand seaters on their own yeah but this sort of collective popularity i think you know and it's pretty well suited i mean if you have lcd curating their own opening slots then you're going to get sort of a like-minded i mean idols and lcd have precious little in common but people who listen Mm. to one probably listen to both yeah yeah i would say that would be kind of the main factor and i think you know, LCD's always had a little bit of a, you know, sort of punk punk edge. And, and uh, you know, they come from that world, I think, initially, and then mixing in the dance stuff. But it's definitely the same people looking at, you know, it's the same best of list at the end of the year. For exactly. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, and so, 
Um, no, and I think it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like that, you know, the Apple computer 80s fest or something where it was like metal. Day. Oh, Us Festival? Yeah, Us Festival and, and sort of like New Wave Day. And, and can, uh, I just, can I just tell you I read about that when I was, you know, 14 or whatever, I was 13. And just like, that was like the ultimate, that was my dream was to be at that thing. Oh, yeah, no, it sounded, I mean, I think I read about it years later in like a details, like oral history or something, but like. And um, the Clash, the English, you know, whatever that Sunday was, the Clash, the English. Yeah, beat, it was like U2. every new wave act you could think of. I think you too was like the one o'clock slot. Right, yeah. <laughs> I was like seeing Pearl Jam as number two in 92. and Yeah, and they weren't, yeah, they I were mean, like number eight in 92, weren't they? They were like number two. I mean, I think they literally oh, they? played. Yeah, the second band. Oh yeah, the second band. No, so Jesus and Mary Chain played after them. I mean, put it that way. Yeah. So, um, but um, but yeah, no. I mean, I love the idea. I think it makes a lot of sense for artists. I think the regionality makes sense. And uh, you know, as we know, you know, our good friend does theme music for our pod here. Simon, you know, is on tour with um, Modest Mouse, and will be again this summer. And it's a it's a it's a grueling kind of schedule, you know, that you're you adhere to. And and I think to make it more profitable and to have those larger acts makes a lot of more sense. And then you can also probably tack on, um, and you're seeing, you know, the festival is tough for, I think in a lot of reasons, right? There's just so many, even you look at like a pitchfork where we used to attend kind of religiously or, or, um, you know, out in Coachella or things like that, which I have no desire to go to, but you're stuck with such an onslaught of bands that, you know, there's, it's it's half and half whereas it's like, hard to differentiate it, after a while like i yeah there, there are times hit, we're having you know, each stage and all those things too, yeah you know? well there, there's times where we're having conversations fun. and i'm like you know where you'll forget or i'll forget we're like i've never seen them and you're like yeah you did <laughs> right totally yeah it just got swallowed up because it was the four o'clock in between you know mastodon and the national Right, or or you know, Boston Calling was a couple weekends ago, which is I think is you know back after a two year hiatus. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, actually, um, um, it got well. Actually, no, I think they had it last year too. But it was they had the opposite uh, good for they had good fortune in terms of the weather. It was a perfect weekend for it. It was, yeah, and, and they had some really you know big headline yeah. acts playing. I mean, Foo Fighters and, and um, <laughs> as I like Paramore. To the other Paramore. Yeah, thank you, and. Uh, I mean, I assume that event was, was you know, well attended and, and I think did pretty well. But at the same time, you know, it's it's almost like an age thing, too, I would say, in a weird yeah. way. Like, it was the, funny. I was, the experience did... you want, you know, when you have maybe a little more income or, or a little is less is more type thing. A nicer venue, <laughs> a, uh, you know, maybe more curated lineup, and then, um, and then, you know, one spot to go, especially when you live in, in the area. Yeah, I will give credit to uh, Bowery for this too. It's um, you know they there's easily uh, a few thousand additional people could fit into this space. It's a big space and it's on the lawn in the infield of the old Suffolk Downs horse racing track. And um, but they left a portion of it kind of open so that you could bring a blanket and hang out and like a you know concerts on the common uh, hat shell kind of situation. Bring a blanket. Um, don't bother so trying not, to bring your own food. So not paid to technically be in kind of thing? <laughs> no, but or no, the other, other way around. You, you're in, but you have space. Gotcha, um, gotcha. So it wasn't like, you know, they didn't jam every last person into the facility. And, uh, you know, somebody who's, I've only seen one other show at, at um, Suffolk Downs before, and that was Radiohead back in 2001, I think. 
Um, right. One of the best shows I ever saw, frankly. Um, but that was the opposite. There was probably 20,000 people there. There was a VIP section right in front of the stage with about 200 people in it, lots of room to roam. The rest of the people were jammed in there like sardines and mm. not very cordial to the people who were in the VIP section. Um, I fearfully... Well, yeah, when, you, when you're giving the, like, you know, Queen's wave and <laughs> yeah, exactly. have your own bathroom. Exactly. Which I hope, which I hope you were that night. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, there was no way I was Can waiting back into... Can you pass me a beer? Do you mind grabbing one? See if Savage is to go to the toilet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. I mean, it was, like, it was basically, like, set up to, like, um, yeah, cause a riot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, this is this is pretty cool the way they and in Massachusetts and, where you you know yeah exactly hopefully they had the VIP section slightly higher than the, the, the seven no, section so the five this, six this one men couldn't VIP, see VIP is pretty pretty uh, it's a stone's throw from the stage so it's um, you know it I didn't stay in there very long um, right. but anyway that's North yeah well cool and I mean I think we had the you know opposite experience but in a, in a different way of just going back to the the roots and i'll just say that um you know sinclair also owned by bowery who you know seems to kind of i think just it's by happenstance i know we, we have a relationship with them through your writing but also um at the same time you know like they just own the best venues right now in in, in boston area and cambridge and they and, care and, about and the experience boston. which i think is yeah cool. no it's a, i think it's a it's a win-win and um but seeing the you know kind of hot uh buzzworthy new band when or i guess newish band they're not that new but yeah, wednesday who, um which their new album is getting a lot of buzz i should say they um yeah rat song band that, that's been on our radar for a while and uh and it's probably the first sold out show that i've been to at the sinclair in a while to be honest you know, same i've had a string of, of kind of lately attended uh some you know um being a band trying to just win over the, the 15, 20 people there and great. And others that were uh, sort of hostile to the fact that nobody came out to see them. So yeah. um, it was actually a fun experience to be in a, in a show that was jam packed and people were and full of excited. Yeah. People. Were yeah. Really... And I would say exciting. It was exciting to see, although there's nowhere to, to go before or after in Harvard square anymore, but um Excited to see just a you know again to be the, the oldest two at the club and uh, mm-hmm. see you know a sea of kind of twenty somethings enjoying a band quite a bit and get it coming out and supporting them. Yeah, if you haven't heard Wednesday yet, they're from Asheville, North Carolina. They are um, pretty heavy guitar band, but they're you know their wrinkle, their little uh, um, you know differentiator, which I think is a stroke of genius. But and can't believe nobody's really done it before. Is one of their guitarists is a is a lap steel player and uh but played with a lot of he's pedals, like a pedal a steel effects. actually yeah pedal um, steel sorry. which is even even more complicated yeah not that i'm a music dork but i do do know that difference and and uh it's actually it's a pretty intricate instrument and it adds it uh, yeah with through you were gonna say there sorry before i cut you off like um you know guitar pedals and, and electric guitar kind of effect pedals that that sound pretty great and, like, but there's times when it sounds sound. It has that country tinge to it, and times when it has like a punky tinge to it. But the guy is obviously a very accomplished player, and and then um, MJ Lederman, who had a, a pretty successful solo album last year, is the guitar player for the band. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like uh, Kevin Shields, and uh, if I could think of a great Nashville player, I would name him right now, but I can't. <laughs> so um, mixed together with with you know super big fuzz pedals. 
It's, uh, but anyways, I, I mean, I, I was just, it was nice to see a healthy crowd. I think that album's great. I thought the band was great. I think we both commented, and, and this is just, you know, these guys are young, and um, this, I think we were sort of hitting the tail end of a long tour and um, had, a, a, I think, a good banter with the crowd. A little more like, you know, we, we always sort of complain about the shoegaze period because we actually lived through it where people literally did just stare down at their pedal boards and, and play just extremely loud, fuzzy, amazing guitar, psychedelic rock. But uh, at the same time, it's always fun to jump around and, and have a little more stage presence. But the singer, and do you give her name when she was great? And um, Give me one sec. And I think carried quite, you know, a pretty a packed house. I mean, it's a band that I, you could tell has sort of probably played Cambridge or Boston many times over the last couple of years, um, just on the circuit of, of indie bands. You know, I'm, I'm probably certain pre-Great Scott's demise, they were there, at least the Paradise or some of the other places. And um, it's a band that I think every time they come to town has probably seen bigger audiences and, and larger spaces. Yeah, it's Carly is Hartsman is the, is the singer, yeah. and she's got a very distinctive kind of warble that uh, um, it's hard to call it anything else, but she's got a powerful voice that, um, and she's a really good songwriter. She's a really, uh, it's a very personal, very um, slice of life kind of songwriting, a lot of specificity, um, you know, uh, nailing some of the, not some of the, um, you know, hallmarks of the South, uh, dogwood trees and cul-de-sacs and, and the things that you think of when you think of the suburban experience of North Carolina but um you know she's got great delivery she's a very funny um stage presence and and you know again like uh we saw always several months ago it's a band that you know lets the music do the talking because they are um not <laughs> you're not the most uh um uh, demonstrative or uh performative band but they are you know they they kick ass live so you you forgive all that stuff yeah, actually, it's uh, I, I think we both enjoy this, and it's I just really like when I like an album quite a bit, and then mm. I go and it's better when I walk yeah. out, you know, and I think that's my experience was that I, I really like that album. I've been obviously kind of warming up with it, playing, and, and, I, and I, going back to, to uh, Twin Plague, the album prior to, which is, you know, really, really noisy and, and better than I remembered even. Um, but I definitely walked out of that show with a new appreciation and re-listening to uh, both, and so yeah, it was a lot of fun and good to good to see packed houses again. I felt like, uh, you know, it's the summer and you get those kind of great sporadic touring acts, and then the reset thing sounded like minus the one night a success. So, but yeah. uh, we should take a break and, and talk we'll about a couple a other break. things. Speaking of, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here. You read my mind.
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today it is Jeremy and I, and we are doing a grab bag of, of things we're kind of enjoying. It's not a what are you listening to, because it's not an exclusively um, music uh, related. It is uh, sort of around the around the world kind of uh, free for all. But Jer, one of the things that you and I are both um, enjoying thoroughly is season two of The Bear. And before I... Um, toss it over to you. I just wanted to uh, lean on you um, for your opinion on the bear for two reasons. One is you are a you are a longtime Chicagoan, and um, so you get the sort of inside jokes of casting and music and, and all that stuff. So as, a, as someone who lived in Chicago for the better part of 10 years, um, what is your, what, where do they rank on the authenticity scale, which is obviously... Um, such a massive topic in the bear with restaurant people and Chicagoans. But um, also, you know, explain to me the smattering of guest stars that we're looking at. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as a uh, as, as Chicago being one of my favorite stops on the, uh, the Where Are You From tour, um, <laughs> which is nowhere, by the way, um, I would say. It, I, I really think they, you know, like, you know, knowing a lot about Boston for you and, and you know, similar when when shows and, and kind of casting does nail some of those kind of intricacies, it's always kind of fun. And, and I think they do a good job. I mean, I think even with accents or just sort of small references, um, they've done well. And then the restaurant group is, you know, names are escaping me, but there was many in the sort of consulting and, and scenes where she was kind of going around trying different places. Um, and then also, you know, even in the montage of sort of COVID closings, which this show is obviously filmed around because it kind of touches on that you know those were restaurants that were pretty near and dear you know the the vet guys and publican and um you know that crew and then bristol and other places that were right in my neighborhood um bucktown wicker park so i I think music wise too you know it, it it's definitely somebody who is who is probably you know i would say pretty close to my age um and you know, certainly the Wilco's and stuff like that, but also tying in some other Chicago artists and then do we get um, any, just kind of uh, hitting. Do we get any naked ray gun or, or material issue or anything? I, we, you know, we didn't this yet, but I'm sure we will. Um, I also just noticed, you know, there's one thing about the Midwest that always kind of struck me and, and it was just such a hotspot for 80s um, English music, like so new wave, like you would have been in heaven, you know, and mm. just because I think like not being New York and not being L.A., they had obviously had somebody who was spinning like squeeze and stuff like that, you know. Oh yeah, they stuff. did have squeeze. And I, you know, it's it's a, it's a music that really fits there. Like you go to bars and stuff, and it's like it's funny. They like love Brit music and Brit yeah. Pop. No, I remember there was there was a place in Minneapolis. The first time I went to Minneapolis called Brit's Pub. And they had lawn bowling yep. on the roof, which was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And, yeah, um, exactly. But all they played was like Joe Jackson and the Jam and Ultravox, and I was like, what? I'm like. Wait, I'm, I mean, the Mekon second home is Chicago, too. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a weird, there's like a weird tie in there. And that there's guy DJs a, a lot. Um, there's a sister city town. vibe. Yeah, 100%. But uh, yeah, no, I think they do a great job. And, and you know, both all that and, and being involved in restaurants and still in the food industry, um, for me, like, I think they, they, they still keep an authenticity that is not uh, corny or sort of, you know, eater list or, you know, Netflix documentary, but it has enough kind of um real time to it you know I, when you started a show again you're kind of your ho- hopes are a little high and yeah 
you know, pilot episodes or, or sorry, at this point, second season, first episodes, as you know, is just tying in so much stuff. Well, it's it's and, a you have to you have to assume that people haven't watched the first episode, right. the first season. So you you do a little sort of housekeeping, you do a little bit of box checking, and um, you know, as a striking uh, writers guild member i i i'm you know, <laughs> yeah, privy to these things um you're out of the picket line after this yeah call, right? I, i'm going to i'm going to march on city hall and and uh <laughs> as, a, as a lone voice in the wilderness but you yeah. know i do know that you have to reestablish because i mean we we used to go on you know hiatus we used to go finish for the season and not know if we were renewed so we would have to right. end every season with a sort of this could be the last episode you know yep. so we need some level of uh finality Closure. but we also um you know we would open the season the following year and you have to make decisions like is it you know the next day is it six months later is it a year right. later um yeah. and those are those are interesting conversations when you have them um you know you're sort of like okay well we left her here now where do we pick up and and i i think they manage i think they navigated that really well um the first... i was gonna say the transition was was decent you know which is yeah. hard to do and, and i mean that in like you know decent being like an, an a on a normal day you know? mm-hmm. no no i mean it, you know not fucking it up is a huge piece of doing it right you know what i mean it's there yeah. there's a million ways to fuck that up um you know there's certain um you know i think back on things like homeland and house of cards and and some of the shows where i loved the first season and then yeah. didn't like the rest of the series so much um it's it's sometimes you get too far ahead of yourself and i you know that was always my knock on house of cards is that the thing you know he went from being a rank and file congressman to like a presidential candidate the next yeah, year and it was bunker with it, nuclear suitcase you're like what yeah it was yeah or <laughs> homeland where it def- obviously should have ended after one season i mean that was the well and the big knock on that was that he was supposed to blow himself up you know that was the yeah. season and yeah, that is a, so, that's a hard so thing cool to overcome. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the apocalyptic nature of you know, the thing is is uh, you know it's it's a hard thing to to hit you know to you know uh, to uh, avoid nuclear catastrophe and then try and and write. Um, a soft and soft pedal the reason why you did it um yeah. the bear was the stakes were not that high as a beef restaurant um no. it's an italian beef <laughs> restaurant but it's it's still um i give them enormous credit uh for for um keeping the cast intact not making anybody too you know wildly different it's a they maintained a, a level of a believable level of of um progress and but they're they're back and um it's a it's a cool story. It's a very fun show. Yeah, it's to a watch. good show. It sort of also, ropes you in. in a big weird time way. surprise hit, from what I gather. Like this was like. Oh yeah, this was a low budge kind this of. This is like what um I remember uh, Sean Slade and, and Paul Coldery when I was working on a thing with them. Um, you know, they said basically that the record label was trying to terminate the Boston's contract, and so that's how those guys wound up getting you know enormous amount of points in the in the the boston's record that hit but they buried it and so the fact that they uh, it became a hit was like not only you know uh, a 
finger in the eye of the of the you know the corporate label people, but it also became very lucrative for those guys because they basically didn't <clears throat> the company didn't want that much of a stake in it. They thought it was going to fail. They tried to make it fail, and um, you know I kind of feel like the bear was the same way. It kind of got buried somewhere down the line. I don't know how it got greenlit, but you know there's not a huge budget for you know the, that cast doesn't cost a, a fortune um, no not at all i mean it I was mean, it a, it next was a year COVID, but <laughs> it was a covid sleeper yeah no i mean it mm-hmm. was it was definitely um i don't think it would have been seen if, if people but it's an excellent show no i agree and i and I, I they hook you i mean it's a nice little it's a nice show like it's it's, mm-hmm. it's same with you know recent one we were talking somewhere uh someone somewhere same kind of thing where it's like a nice slice but um, in addition to that, you turned me on to with the with the anniversary of the Violent Femmes album. You know, it, we we struggle sometimes with music pods having the number one music pod in someone's country, and uh, and trying to find others that we like. We, we I mean, I'm I'm a dabbler with music pods. I, I, I like you know sound opinions at times if they have a great guest or record, or reviewing something, and I think you know I, I tend to have to kind of piecemeal a little bit with music where I don't as much as sports and politics and things like that, but. Um, Life of the Record, um, hosted by Dan North Northam, I think is, is how you say his name. Northam, is, uh, I think it is. Yeah, it's a great little. Again, if if you have an, an interest or an album in the, the, my entry via you via um, our friend and writer um, Mark Shanahan, Mark Shanahan from uh, the Globe recommended that we check it out, and, and I think it's. Uh, if you're into an album, it's a great concept, you know, sort of Dan takes a backseat and lets the artist talk about well, a really unique experience. Or if it's a, a somebody who's deceased or passed, you know, the people who, who made the album and it's uh, picking a classic album, which, you know, for geeks like us, is, is kind this of This cool. is heaven. I yeah. have to say, um, Dan, it's Nordheim, I believe. Uh, Dan doesn't just take a backseat. He introduces the setup and then just disappears altogether, which, right. you know, given... The amount, I mean, given the unwanted uh, inclusion of personal stories in so many uh, music podcasts, um, oh, some might yeah. say this. I can think um, of one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just like, you know, stuff on the ringer and, and things are just like, it's that same thing where if I read a review of an album, I don't want to know about the person writing the review. I'm sorry. That's just not what's yeah. important to me. I or don't a care book if or it was... a film. I mean, yeah. it really can go across. I mean, unless list. there is a, a very particular connection, um, I kind of want the critic to be invisible. And nobody understands that better than Dan on Life of the Record because the guy just literally goes, The Violent Femmes debuted in 1983. Right. Here they are to tell you about it. And then yeah. there's an hour and 40 minutes of Gordon Gaino, Brian Ritchie, and, and uh, um, Vincent um, just talking about, uh, or Vic, sorry, Victor, um, talking about how they made the record. And it's really fun and really funny yeah. in that case. And I think, too, you know, has something for everybody in terms of albums. I mean, you you know, I, I shouldn't say I've looked at most of it. I mean, certainly that record store kind of... Uh, crate digger who loves obscure and, and kind of classic albums but if you you know you have a lot of obviously kind of indie stuff with you know alternative with violent femmes just being such a unique record and, and they just did one on surfer rosa which was a joy to listen to with joy santiago and um, steve albini and, steve, and dave lovering yeah, but they also and then, they have like no they have i mean there's like beat happening is on there right and, and um big star and uh, i just recently listened to an older one with john on john prine's first album that had 
yeah, Marvel you said you were nuts for that. Amanda shares and and uh, you know a bunch of players because obviously John Prine has, has passed away. It was great. I mean, it, you know, these are these are things that I've read the liner notes on and that I, you know, have interest in and, and I feel like I know everything about a Surfer Rosa or a John Prine debut album and then these go kind of next level like frontline documentary style. Where yeah, like, that's a know, great comp uh, actually. It, it is the really frontline of music pods. And so, yeah, I, I think it's definitely, you know, shout out to Dan and, and uh, you know, happy to promote this music pod for sure. And thank and, you uh, for to Mark Shanahan for bringing it to our attention. 100%. So should we end this like we always do? Yeah, I think we should. All right. Uh, what are you listening to? Well, what I'm listening to, I am reading Chain Gang All-Stars at the moment, which uh, I recommend it to Damien and he's already finished it. It was, uh, it's right okay. up his alley. It's a, it's a, you know, sort of dystopian sort of uh, set pretty much in reality um, with some, you know, sci-fi elements, but it is not my type of book ordinarily, but it's about um, basically America's favorite primetime show is a show about prisoners fighting to the death um, called the Chain Gang All-Stars. And yeah, um, I mean, it's about the, uh, you know, has a lot to say about the um, prison industrial complex and, and you know, sort of satirizes um, the, uh, you know, sponsorship of, of everything in the, prof- you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting book. Very d- darkly funny. Sounds like it'll be a uh, very much lends itself to um, becoming a series at some point. I would think. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It sounds great and uh, cool. And I saw No Hard Feelings yesterday, the oh, Jennifer Lawrence movie. It's um, for lovers of teen movies like you and I. Uh, it's completely acceptable. Gotcha. <laughs> it's gotcha. Um, it's a is big. It a, is it gonna do well streaming kind of thing? Yeah, I think it might. It's, you know, it's got its moments. It's not as funny as it wants to be. It's not as poignant as it wants to be, but it's not, you know, at no point in it are you, you know, thinking about being badly made. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is a great, she really is a great actress. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was the intriguing part for me. I was like, she's And I was a little dubious of this kid, you know, he was one of the Evan Hansons on Broadway and, um, and, uh, but he's. He's really good. He's, you know, he's not too meek. He's the right level of like righteous and and um, pandered to a, as a child. And it's kind of, you know, it's the, you know, there's certainly something they're saying about how uh, how sheltered children are today. But he, you know, they didn't make him stupid for it. They just made him um, inept. And it, it's, it's right. actually it's cute. It's sweet. It's um, it's it, you know it's not the graduate, um, but it is it is better than a lot of stuff and still you know C plus B minus kind of material. It's gotcha. Which I'll take. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've got two teen daughters, so sure I'll yeah. see you soon. How about you? What are you listening um, to? Uh, you know what? So I know we talked a lot of music earlier, so I'm gonna kind of skip to. Uh, the book that you gave me probably around Christmas time to read and I've just picked up so and you've talked about it on this pod so I'm going to go crazy on it but just say I finally started Hellfire by uh, is it Nick Toches? Oh, yeah. Toches? Nick Toches yeah Toches, Toches yeah. Um, and uh, yeah it, it's a it's a densely good book I mean it's it's, uh, um, it's really does read like a a novel which is kind of cool it's widely considered probably the best rock biography ever written I you know 
who cares? Yeah, I'm, I'm not um, going to read enough to know that, but I, um, but it's you know. But I know that I'm reading this one, which tells you something. You know? No, it's it's a great book. I really enjoyed it, and it's you know Jerry Lee Lewis. It is the biography of Jerry Lee Lewis by Nick Tochis, and it is Jerry Lee Lewis has lived enough for all of us. You know. Uh, yeah. No. Definitely. I mean, this is some backwater. You know, just interesting. It's actually like almost historically kind of interesting too, because it's just a part of the. You know, it's forgotten time. It's also uh, deep, 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 deep south, and uh, it's, it's deep, deep. south, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like under, under under the other south. Yeah, I, yeah under what the south has, has changed to, I think, um, but probably not too far under. Um, yeah, but anyway, so I'm enjoying that a lot, and then yeah, I've been listening to like a smattering of music, and actually the the pod that we discussed a minute ago, um, on. God, the name well, is Life of the Record. Life of the Record, thank you. Name does need to, to be a slightly more catchy. But um I, you know, jumped kind of back into some some older stuff too and then listening to Wednesday. So let's throw songs on the jukebox here and on the, you know, eight trillion million best songs ever. That, yeah. Um, the never any playlist and get the hell what out of here. What are you putting on? Uh I'm kinda of torn. I don't do this much as it's kind of a Christian move, but I'm gonna put Quarry by Wednesday on. I really like that nice. song. I've been listening to it a lot. It's a good song. And I am in honor of the show that I missed last week um, by uh, LCD Sound System. I'm going to put, actually, I'm going to put two songs from the uh, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> from the Reset Festival. I'm going to go nice. with all, all I Want by LCD Sound System. Nice. And let me think. Twenty twenty dollars by Boy Genius. Yeah. Good. Cool. And if uh, if all I want, I can't remember if that's on there or not. If it is, then so be it. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. All right. Great. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.